the Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here. This is episode 530. Today, we bring you John and McCray Acuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. And today's episode is brought to you by the Art of Leadership Academy's Art of Church Growth. It's a course that I created. If you want your church to grow, I would love for you not just to, you know, have a great 2023, but why don't you position your church now? To grow in the new year. Simply go to the Art of Church Growth Course.com. That's the Art of Church Growth Course.com. And today's episode is brought to you by Compassion International. Meet a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season. Simply go to compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. Well, today we are going to talk to John Acuff once again, but this time we're bringing his daughter McCray. And they wrote a book together. It's an adapted version of Soundtracks. A lot of you know that book. And we're going to talk about who teens really listen to, why adults fail to connect with Gen Z. There are some killer moments in this podcast you're going to love. And creating a better soundtrack for the next generation. Also, one of the things that I enjoyed most about this conversation is you pick up on some of the uh, parent-child dynamics. So for those of you who are parenting right now, this is fun, all right? I've met John like a million times uh, on the road, off the road. You know, we're good friends. Uh, but when you get him in with his kids, it's fun because some of those normal parenting dynamics come in. There's an AirPod thing that happens in this show that I think you're going to love. And better yet, if you can go to YouTube and watch it, it's, it's even better because you'll be able to see it. Anyway, we left it in. We decided to leave it in because it was just so fun. And if you have kids or were a kid, yeah, you can relate to this. And uh, so cool to have written a best-selling book when you're 16 years old, too. So John is the New York Times best-selling author of eight books, including Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking, and the Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. When he's not writing or recording on his popular podcast, All It Takes is a Goal, Acuff can be found on stage as one of Inc.'s top 100 leadership speakers. McCray Acuff is a high school junior in Franklin, Tennessee. She runs cross country and track, loves student government, and is somewhere babysitting right now. She's a writer at heart and will probably write the follow-up to your new playlist all by herself, she says. So I think you're going to love this episode. Hey, we're about 60 days remaining in 2022. Can you believe it? Most leaders are already shifting their focus to next year, but don't write off this year. It's not too late to finish the year strong. What if you could finish 2022 with your church growing and position yourself for growth in 2023, I prepared a few resources to help you do that. My church growth program, which is open for enrollment, walks you through the steps to position your church for growth. I can't guarantee it, but I can show you exactly what it takes to get there. By taking a thorough look at your leadership team, pastoral care, missional alignment, your culture, and also figuring out which barriers to church growth exist, here's what you can do. You can identify and eliminate the barriers that are keeping your church from growing right now and guide your church through the transformational conversations that will lead you to growth and deeper discipleship. So, Join before the end of the day, November 2nd, that's tomorrow if you're listening in real time, to receive the Christmas Outreach Toolkit, which outlines simple steps you can make this Christmas to make it your best one yet. Get instant access today. Go to theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com. That's theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com to finish this year on a high note. I'd love to help you with that. It's also almost Christmas. 
but it's not too late to do something meaningful. You know, your church is going to be asking you, hey, what are we doing for Christmas this year for those less fortunate? Why not partner with Compassion? They've got this thing called a giving tree. You put it up in your lobby or lobbies if you've got multiple locations. And on there are some life-giving gifts that your congregation can just pick up a tag, an ornament, say, we're going to give this this year, and a child has his or her practical needs met this Christmas. So it's not too late. Head on over to Compassion.com slash GivingTree slash carry. That's Compassion.com slash GivingTree slash C-A-R-E-Y. And you can still get in on meeting a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season. Best yet, Compassion partners with the local church. So check it out at Compassion.com slash GivingTree slash carry. Well, let's get into a really fun conversation all about the creative process, about what Gen Z is thinking about, and some really cool dynamics between John and uh, his daughter, McCray. Let's go. Well, John and McCray, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want (laughs) to get started in this place. Uh, You wrote a whole new book. And John, maybe this is a question more for you, but you released Soundtracks. What was that? Was that in 2021? 2021. Yeah. I was like, what's the best time to release a book? And I thought pandemic. That's a perfect time. Perfect time. People can get the bookstores so quickly. And your speaking tour was out. There's a lot of foot traffic, a lot of foot traffic at malls and stuff. So I was just like, oh yeah, let's do it. Nobody's paranoid. At least it wasn't 2020 at that point. I remember they weren't even like printing books. We heard stories from from publishers. It's like, we're out of paper. It's like, what? Yeah, well, the Suez Canal, the Suez Canal was involved at some point where like that's when you know it's bad when like a canal you haven't thought about since the third grade is suddenly impacting your life in a negative way. And you're like, we've got a lot of issues. So fortunately, it it wasn't that bad. Yeah, And your third grade teacher is C. You you, you needed this knowledge. I told you. You I told you. You got that B minus and now it's finally paying (laughs) off. So. You know, what a lot of people do, just knowing the book industry as you do, is they would say, great, let's just hire a ghostwriter and do a a kid's version or a teenage version of soundtracks. But instead, you decide to sit down and say to your daughters, Ellie and McRae, hey, let's write a book together. What was the thinking behind that, that let's do a whole other thing? And it is a new book. If you read soundtracks, you've not read your new playlist. It's a a whole other, because I've read them both. Well, I mean, I think the the book came about because parents asked for it. I've always said it's better to meet a need than invent a need. It's really expensive as a leader to invent a need. It's expensive, it's time-consuming, and you don't know if it's going to work. It's a lot more fun to meet a need. So when Soundtracks came out, parents immediately, for the first time ever of any of my books, said, do you have one for teenagers? Do you have one for teenagers? If I could have learned how to change my mindset at that age, it would have changed everything. So you didn't get that for finish. You didn't didn't, get that for... No, no. nobody do-over. Nobody asked for like a teen version of do-over. And so I decided, okay, I need to write this book. But if I wrote it alone, it would sound like an adult trying to sound young. So McRae and Ellie, I said, hey, I think we can do this. I think I can coach you through the process. Let's. This will be like the most extended version of bring your daughter to work day. Let's try it. So that's how it came about. McCray's nodding. Yeah. If my dad tried to write it, it would sound like an adult trying to sound like a teenager. You agree with that? Totally. He would be like, hey, what's dope? 
Like he would say crazy things. What did you? What's the Harry Styles joke? So you edited it was out? a like it was a header. It was like big font, and it said, "No offense <laughs> to Harry Styles, but there's really more than one direction." Yeah, it was terrible, and she was like, "Dad, this is horrible. It was ho- this is horrific. a terrible dad joke." So. Cray was kind of our dad joke police. She was like, I can't uh-huh. have any book that has my name on it be so full of dad jokes. So you were really the editor. You had to edit out all the embarrassing parts. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, well, and Cray, you would come in and go, the Carrie, some of how we wrote it, because I think the process is kind of interesting. Yeah. I would give them, I would give them assignments and say, Hey, here's the topic we're talking about in this chapter. What's a teen version of that? Help me understand because I don't understand. And then McRae would go back and go, here's 15 things that a teenager is dealing with. And usually 13 of them were a surprise to me. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, you guys really, I mean, you and your sister, Cray, you really wrote the book, right? Like most of it. Dad got involved at the beginning and the end. So Mm -hmm. talk about that process. I think it was you who said in the credits that you've always wanted to write a book. Um, he would give us like assignments. He'd be like, Hey, write 500 words about so-and-so or be like, Hey, I want you to go around and listen for 50 of whatever the topic would be. And then we'd like write it. And then he would help us like adapt it to more like book E kind of writing. Cause I'm used to writing in the academic, like, Oh, you need concrete details, blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, paragraph break, paragraph break. Yeah. And I'm like, Whoa, yeah. it's a lot of paragraph breaks. <laughs> They said, Dad, we need paragraphs. And I was like, single sentences. People have short attention spans. Lots of entries and exits to our thoughts. We got to go in, get out, like SWAT team kind of thing. Like you get in the window, you say a thought, you get back out. You get it and you know. So they were much more intro, three main points, conclusion. Huh, which is, I guess, how you write for school, right? For your papers. It's interesting because when I started writing books, I had the same thought. I'm like, my English teachers are like coming out of retirement to rebel against my writing style because I'm with you John like everything's a paragraph right and well you throw the you throw the rules out the window and go how do I make this highly readable or highly uh-huh. fun versus oh I can't have a sentence end with a preposition so I, I think you I think you need to know the rules but then I think you need to know them so you can break them so that I've never had somebody say, I read your book, but I didn't like the grammar. That's not what they say. They say, I read your book. I found it helpful. Here's how it was helpful. So that, McCray's right. She did have to kind of suspend some of what she's taught because she's in that formal stage of learning. And I had to help them kind of expand from that. Well, it's interesting too, John, because I mean, I think you're seen as being pretty relevant. You know, you're, you're years away from even your 50th birthday, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of leaders would say, yeah, John's pretty young, you know, or young, like young attitude, young heart, fun attitude, but there were definitely some generational differences uh, that came up in the writing. What were some of the other generational differences you saw other than humor or style, McCray? Um, he would just sometimes not know the term terminology. So he'd say like the prom. It's like prom. Like you don't say the prom or just like the way you would structure stuff. I'm like, no one would say that it that way. Yeah. So prom was our favorite example because we, I grew up going to the prom and I got invited to the prom and they were like the, that sounds like a thousand years old. So I think like Carrie, the other thing, they don't use capitalizations in text messaging. So every Uh kid has their caps and their punctuation off. So like 
they're like, no, dad, that's old fashioned. So if we, if we did, if we pulled out, you know, Hey, this is what a text would sound like. We had to have that kind of conversation. So it was little things like that, um, that, that stuck out to me, but then it was also, okay. McCray kind of briefly touched on this, what they would hear friends say. So I would say, Hey, today we're talking about specific fears and they would come back a week later and go at the lunch table. These are five things, five real people said, because I want, again, like, I think you can tell when a book has been written about a topic versus when it's been written by somebody who's in the trenches and there's a difference. And so that was one of their lessons was, okay, what are, you know, Carrie, in my new book, I have, I I mentioned a string of goals and this is a book that comes out next fall. But one of them, I was like, you know, declutter your attic, lose five pounds, make enough money that you can spend, uh, fly your parents back first class to Holland so they can see the tulip festival. That's something (laughs) you, that's something you did. And yeah. in the book, you can feel it. There's realness to it. So we kept, I kept having them go, okay, this feels general. Let's get real. What's real look like? So let's go there because you've hinted at it a couple of times, McCray. What's real? How, how old are you right now as we record this 16. Interview? 16. So what's real in the life of a 16-year-old? Um, I would say like school is really important. My relationships through school with my friends. I would say there's a lot of like, I know, like, my life is very school-focused. Well, and also, I would say the opening chapter was her idea. So the very first thing that happens in the book is a text message. Cray, explain that story, because it's your story. Yeah. It was your idea to put it in. To, and, I, and then I'll tell you what I think about it. And this text message um, has punctuation and yes. periods. Well, it was written capital. by an adult. So. It was uh-huh. from an adult. Yeah. It wasn't written by a teenager. So I played lacrosse all through high school and I played in ninth grade. And then in 10th grade, my lacrosse coach like caught me by sending me a text message. And I thought that would be a good idea to include it in the book because it was like one, like a broken soundtrack factory. And also because everyone my age is going to face some sort of rejection, like being cut from a team or not making like a play or like just any kind of rejection. A date for homecoming. Yeah. So I just thought it was very like universal feeling that everyone experiences and be a good way to kickstart the book. And I was glad because I didn't force it on her. That was the thing. That was the other dance, Carrie. I mean, and you've experienced this. As you grow as a leader, you have to realize it's not just your story. It's your family's story too. Like every leader, like let's, let's pick on pastors for a second. Every pastor has had an illustration at some point that their spouse said after, hey, I would have loved veto power on that one before you <laughs> yeah. did that one. So, because mm-hmm. we're a unit, and that was not your story to share. And you go, oh, that was a bit that's right. Yeah. yeah, that was embarrassing. And so for me, that she said, and this was a week after, because the night it happened was was a hard night. Um, Craig, what were some of the soundtracks, the broken soundtracks you heard when you got cut? I thought that like my life was over. Like none of my friends on lacrosse would talk to me. Everyone would think I was a loser. All this stuff that wasn't true. It was just very like overwhelming at the time. Mm-hmm. I can see that. What? Tell me, what are some other things? Because we have a ton of parents listening. Some of them have teenagers. Some of them have college-age kids. John, you've got both. Uh, and then some of them have preschoolers. And, you know, they don't have an iPhone yet, but they know that the time is coming when that's going to happen. What do parents, McCray, need to know about the world that kids are in? Because I think if you're 25, you don't understand the world of a 16-year-old right now. So help us help us understand like some things that like don't seem like they're a big deal are a big deal. Like finding a seat in the cafeteria, like that's a huge deal. 
or like every year you get new classes and like wondering like who's going to be in your classes is like really big deal or just like small things that seem like obsolete can like mean the world to teenagers. Well, and also Carrie, the other thing you have to remember is Cray and her friends are part of the two year COVID gap. Like they are carrying a bruise that parents can't begin to understand both in learning, like behind in education, behind in social. And then the other thing that I think parents need to understand is that politics impacted kids in a way it never had before. Because very rarely at a lunch table would kids sit differently because of political views. But then the mask became political and kids would separate based on masks. So now Mask kids, unmask kids. You're right. Exactly. Now you've got sophomores that are divided on political lines. That had never happened. They were, McRae's generation was never like, hey, I'd really like to talk about our policy views as the lunch table so that we can divide up. Like that never happened. So that's the other thing that I think McCray can't even talk about it because she's so deep into it. But as a parent on the outside, I can see and go, oh, like some kids didn't come back. Like some kids stayed home and never came back and who knows where they are. And so all of that is in the mix for this generation as well that we as parents have to go, oh, that's right. They experienced it. I worked from home. You worked from home. Like the laptop culture just did more laptop culture. But high school, your kids had a complete, they were the front line of some cultural wars. And that's really hard. Well, I've got to imagine that social media just amplifies it because in the examples that you said, Cray, like I remember trying to pick, I can, I saw my high school cafeteria when you were describing that. And I know where I usually sat and it was, you know, it was kind of loaded, but not really, you know, it's like, it's just a lunch period. And then um, with being cut from a team, et cetera, or, um, you know, who's going to be in your class, who's not going to be in your class. But I can only imagine that social media has made that 10,000 times. Like the stakes are just up there in a way they weren't. Because I think it was an interview, maybe it was with the interview you did with Annie F. Downs. I can't remember. You talked about like you go to a party and you know who's invited, who's not invited. You see on Snapchat or on Instagram, like who who's in. Like you are so much more aware I'm, I'm not exactly the most social guy, so I wasn't always 100% aware of what other people were saying about me. Uh, but now everybody kind of knows, like, how is that a factor? I, either of you take a crack at this, but I'd love to start with McCray. I'd love to hear Cray's response. Yeah. Um, I would say just like, it's easy, like, like you had no way to know, like, oh, all my friends are hanging out with me. So it's really easy to, like, get your feelings hurt. And, like, having social media, like, it's, like, such a platform. Like, people can be really outspoken about whatever they believe and it can cause like arguments or like, oh, I don't want to associate myself with them. So it's kind of like, it's like a balance of like, I want to be on this platform so I can like connect with my friends, but I also don't want to be on this platform so I don't feel left out. Yeah, that's the thing, Carrie, is that they don't send. So like, let's take Snapchat. Let's just take Snapchat as an example. Um, There's times when I would have a hard line on certain technologies, but then McRae wouldn't be connected to her friends. They wouldn't like they don't. Her generation doesn't text message. They they message each other in Snapchat. So if I say no Snapchat, I might as well say no phone because I've now removed the single vehicle of communication. It's not that they're you know they're they're just using it for funny videos. It's how they're communicating. So I think, but but to her point about you can use the platform and cause arguments. It goes back to, again, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if if a student felt a certain way about an issue, they didn't have a megaphone to tell the whole school and invite comment. Now they do. 
So what happens is kids will go, this is my thing, and they'll scream it out. And then other kids will screenshot it, will share it, will comment on it, will it right. and it spirals. That's and none of them have had how to have a personal brand lesson or how like and often <laughs> you do you know what I mean? Like you I and do. I I think about the number of mistakes I've made over the last 10 years trying to build a personal brand, but I started mid-30s. I didn't start at 13. That's the other thing that it's hard to appreciate that wow, there's there's hashtags that kids are using that are drawing drawing, you know, division and there's there's clubs that are drawing division and and how do you help as a parent, how do you help navigate yeah. that? Teenagers as like a whole are already outspoken and then you add in the aspect of social media and it's like boom. Yeah. Yeah, you know, is there a fear, McCray, of being canceled? Like if you say the wrong thing, and I'm not saying like nationally you don't have a career, but I'm like canceled from your friend group, canceled from high school, canceled from your peers. I mean, that's always like an underlying thing of like, I don't want to like post something or repost something that would get me canceled. Because I feel like everyone's very emotional these days. And so I'm always very careful to think like, oh, if I had... If I thought this way, can I interpret this as like this? So you just have to be really careful and like socially con. Uh, it feels like head like games on, on steroids, really. Well, yeah. And what are the head games on follow or like or asking to follow somebody? Because we talk about that with Ellie. Like, there's all these different th- there's all these different rules about okay, if you follow this per if they ask you to follow you and you don't let them follow, like what would you say? Say you were going to follow somebody new that you went to school with, how would you do it? I would just request to follow them. But like I could get my feelings hurt if they didn't follow me back. Cause it could be like, hey, you're in my science class, but you don't follow me back on Instagram. Ouch. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of like opportunities for you to get your feelings hurt. Yeah. What would you you say? And and again, both feel free to comment, but McCray, let's start with you. One of the the themes, sub-themes, largely because I keep bringing it up (laughs) on this podcast that I I follow is I'm wondering about the world of real conversation. So let's say you follow somebody, they don't follow you back, your feelings are hurt. I don't care what year you were born in, that's an awkward conversation, right? Like it just, just is. It was awkward for your dad, it was awkward for me, awkward for your mom. But there's an argument uh, a growing concern, I guess, that because, I mean, you know, I'm asking you questions that might be a little bit hard to answer because you've only known a world with social media. I mean, it's not like your parents gave you a phone when you were three, but I mean, you've all your formative years have been spent online. Do you find, and your parents are great at conversation, I've known them for a long time, but do you find it's really like the art of conversation with your friends, with your peers, it gets awkward to have those conversations in real life. You have to have them online or you don't have them at all. And you just internalize those feelings or like what goes on. So play out that scenario where somebody doesn't follow you. Is that something you would ever raise in person or what do you do with those feelings? I would, I would never bring it up because that'd be so awkward. Be like, Hey, Phil, I know you're in my science class and we know each other. Like, you don't follow me back on Instagram. Like, ouch. Like, why do you do that? I would never bring that up. No. But, like, something that can be kind of awkward is, like, when you know someone only through social media, like, meeting them in person. Because you're like, oh, I know you, but I don't know you. Like, I know that, like, last summer you went to the Bahamas, but I don't actually know you. So, sometimes that can be, like, a little 
like awkward like five seconds while you're meeting them and being like oh I recognize you but I've never met you before but I wouldn't say like conversationist like halted because like all through like no one my age had phones to like middle school so like we communicated all through elementary school and like learned those skills yeah you had some of that but I would say Carrie what's interesting to me on this yeah. front is Ellie, my oldest daughter, just rushed rushed a sorority, and she had a great experience. She went Kyo. They were awesome. But what I didn't understand was that they had to, the girls that were rushing had to kind of curate their Instagram because they were going to look, as they were getting selected for, for sororities, one of the first things they did was go back through feeds. So they, they were kids eliminated based on their feeds. And so that's where you go. Like, we know that happens job-wise. Like, we've all heard stories where you walk into a job interview and they have a stack of printed out Instagram photos or whatever, but that it's at the sorority level. Like, that's where you go. And then, like, one of my favorite funniest things about Gen Z is promposals are big, like where they do this elaborate proposal. But what's funny to me is often the girl creates it and then gives it to the boy so that he can give it back to her and she can act surprised. So the girl, you're shaking you. She'll make the sign. Yeah, it's crazy. She'll make the sign, an elaborate sign that clearly no 16-year-old boy did a craft project and was like, I'd love to play Scrabble at homecoming. And it's got Scrabble, picks it. Like, they'll make it. They'll spend hours and hours, then give it to some clueless dude and be like, use this to to propose to prom so that I can do a photo and be like, I can't believe he asked me to prom. Like, that's crazy, dude. Oh, you were rolling your eyes and shaking your head, McCray. Yeah. Uh, not at your dad, but at the idea that girls are doing this for guys. W- what's your comment on that? I just think personally that the whole like prom polls thing is like a little ridiculous. They're doing it for the gram, for the Instagram. I like it better like back in time when people would be like, hey, do you want to go to prom with me? And you just ask them and you don't have to update your Instagram story. I know it's like thoughtful. It's like thoughtful if like a guy were to make someone a sign, but having like a girl tell her friends what sign to make or like her making the whole sign kind of ruins the whole aspect of the sign. Well, and we had Ellie got asked to the prom and the guy made a sign and it was great. Like it wasn't elaborate and he actually made it. Ellie didn't make it. So it's not like they're all bad. It's just it's a silly thing when you put extra pressure on women to go, hey, not only do you have to be all these other things that we put on you society-wise, you also have to make an amazing prom sign to give to a lazy boy who's then going to get credit for making... Like, it's a weird thing, Carrie. As a dad of daughters, it's like it's like adolescence is an onion and every layer I peel, I'm like, that's weird. That's even weirder. And I think some of this is Gen Z and some of it is social media. Why Snapchat? I was surprised to find out how big that is. And really, so obviously, I think everybody's known nobody under 30 or 40 calls anybody anymore. Uh, although I really enjoy my monthly phone call with your dad. That's like all Yeah, that's better than Snapchat. That it would be a lot of Snapchat. Snapchat or whatever. So John and I, we connect about once a month by phone, which is awesome. I still like the phone. But we know nobody under 30 does that. We know I did not know that people like teenagers don't text. So what are the go-to messaging platforms and how does that work? I would say a lot of people like text through Snapchat. Snapchat's like basically the messaging app for teenagers. Yeah. Or like I'll talk to people through like Instagram DMs sometimes. Because that's like a good way. Like if I know someone, but I don't like have their phone number, it's an easy way to communicate. 
I would say I text very few people. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's like the old person method of of like talking. <laughs> it's like the Pony Express. It's like <laughs> the Pony Express. Hey, hold on a second, Carrie. Pause for a second. What's going on with the earphones? It's hurting you, my ear. Can you it's, get- it's hurting my ear. It's like too loud Uh-oh. or something. Do we have to have headphones? Yeah, we need headphones. We can just listen to it on the You don't speaker. have to. Okay. But well, it's better, but you can pop better. them out if they're giving it's you trouble. Hurting hurting I can ear. change You're the setting here. I don't no, want no, it to No, no, we're hurt fine. We'll turn it down on our end. She, okay. Just keep it in your ear. It you're, hurts. It's like the inside of my ear is like sore. <laughs> is that better? Yeah. It's, Do you want to switch ears? Loud? Sure. No, it's not you, Carrie. It's my ear. This is going to show up in IMDb. At the 23-minute mark of the conversation, they switched AirPods. Well, she you know, was touching it a thousand. Just keep it in there. I just thought that was your me hair. Nuts. She's driving me nuts. See, she things parents notice. Things parents turning on and off and it was falling out. Every time you touched it, it would turn off. Yes. Anything else about the world of social media that you think parents and leaders should know? Um, Don't double post. Don't post more than one post on Instagram. A, a day. day? Sorry, yeah. a day? Where, where did where that rule come that? from? That is, that is made up. Where? It's just unsaid, unspoken. <laughs> There's no, I don't, I got a brand to grow. I'm going to, I'm going to Gary V the heck. You don't even know who that is, but I'm going to have to post a lot. <laughs> and this so, is just personal. What's personal? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Like when you post in your story a lot, it's annoying. Like constant, people that are constantly posting in their story. Like I get like the occasional thing, but like if you add like seven things a day, Annoying. I'm, I'm gonna go more than that. I'm just well, we're in trouble. Uh, I know, a lot right, of us Carrie? in trouble right now. I yeah. know. I'm I'm doomed. If I look at it, yeah. I only got three things on my story. I'm like, I didn't even work today. Oh, so. That's so true. That's <laughs> it's so crazy. Did I even do anything. So, what are the social consequences? Like, let's say you post twice a day on your Instagram and you do five stories. What happens? Um, it's just like nothing's gonna. No, like monsters gonna come after you. People will just be like, oh, that's kind of annoying. Like, like, no one's going to oh. say anything. It's but just, what would they think? Oh. Yeah. What would they think? Like, you're fully yourself? Like No, it's just like, it's just like you're breaking the social norm. Like, you post, like, once a day. But, like, it's okay if you have, like, five things in your stories every now and then. It's just like if you post excessively every single day, people are like, hmm. But, Carrie, there is, like, we talked about this in the book. Um, like, Ellie, uh, uh, Ellie had friends where they would post Thanksgiving photos, like, carousels and be like so thankful for all my friends and do everybody but one person that sits at the table and if you have six people at a table and five like you go oh man yeah yeah so you become the excluded Mm -hmm. wow and you notice it like because they had to pick specific photos and they're tagging everybody so like even if they forgot naturally and that's the pressure on the person posting now the person posting is going who could I possibly offend by leaving somebody out on this? Like, and again, Carrie, what training do they get on social media? Zero. They don't have a class. Like, there's no class in sixth grade that says, hey, in a year, you're getting a phone. And by the way, you're a personal brand now because people are going to fall. Like, there's no training. That's a really good point. I mean, does anybody at school other than your peers, like, any teachers, is there anything about, hey, here's what's happening with social media and this is what you should be, no. No, I mean, we have, of course, we have like the yearly, like no cyberbullying seminar. Yeah. But they're not like, these are the <laughs> steps you can do to be a responsible person on social media. All the stuff they say is like, don't tell strangers your social security number. Be nice <laughs> Which no kid is doing. No, yeah. that's not what's going to screw them. 
That's not the problem, Gary. Like, you never see reports of like, man, it's been terrible. There's been a lot of teens giving out their social... They don't know their social security number. Like, get out of here. That is so out of touch. Oh, it's funny. You you approach those assemblies with the same enthusiasm we did when we were in school, too. It's like, oh, I'm going to go through these assemblies. You know, it's funny. This is just a note. We have a lot of people who went to seminary listening to this podcast, but... I remember when I was studying the New Testament in particular, and the Old Testament too, there was this thing called honor and shame culture. And it was portrayed like 2,000 years ago, people lived by the virtues of honor and shame. And one of your jobs as a preacher is to help people who don't live in that culture understand that culture. Here's the reality. I think we're living in that culture again. Mm-hmm. There is so much honor and shame. Like, oh, I posted twice a day, but nobody taught me the code. Or... Um, you know, I wasn't tagged in the Thanksgiving photo or I sat at the wrong table and got shunned. That is 100% honor shamed. And it's, I imagine it's got a huge, it's a contributing factor for the anxiety that a lot of teens are dealing with. That's one of the sub-themes, like in your new playlist. I saw you and your sister, McCray, just sort of tackle that again and again and again. And what you've tried to do and what I think you've done well is provide an antidote to that constant shaming. I'm not enough. I don't have it together. I'm a loser. My life is over. You know, talk about some of the antidotes, some of the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Some of the, the remedies for that. Like what's kept you grounded? Because you really strike me in your writing and the time that we spent together is as you and your sister are both pretty grounded in reality. Um, I probably I would say like a big thing is like realizing the ultimatums you may feel aren't true. Like a big one in the we talked about in the book is enough as a myth because you feel like I'm never going to be pretty enough. I'm never going to be smart enough. I won't be happy enough. And like or like I'll always feel this way or I'll, I'll always never I'll always not have friends or I'll never fit in. There's lots of like, people just say those, like when I was doing research for the book, I would just listen and people would always say like, oh, I'm never gonna pass this class. And like realizing like the ultimatums in your life, they're never gonna be true. So you just have to realize that like, I may feel this way today, but like tomorrow's a new day. And like realizing that like the ultimatums are lying to you. And I would say one thing that we, that Cray wrote about was kind of her acronym Jeeps, J-E-E, P.S. Craig, do you want to explain that? That was really um, powerful, actually. It was like it was like turn down techniques for stress, and it was J is Jesus, E is exercise, E is eat, P is people, S is sleep, and it's just like a way, like oh, if I'm feeling stressed about something, maybe I need to exercise or spend time with friends or go to bed early, and it's like finding what works for you, because like some people are like, oh, I hate going to bed early unlike myself or like, oh, spending people time with people is draining. So it's just got to like, you got to learn what, like learn, like what a part, like what parts of yourself, like what is helpful to you. Yeah. It's, it's personal. All the turn down techniques are personal. Um, so some, you know, Cray, when she's stressed, will clean some part of her room because, you know, when things feel chaotic, it's, you can get something back in order. So cleaning out your desk, there's something that's back in order where some kids would go, that's the last thing I want to do when I feel like, like if that's my turn down technique, I'm going to be more stressful. And it's the same with adults. It's figuring out, okay, like Carrie cycling is one of your turn down techniques. Like oh, totally. you love to cycle. Yep. <clears throat> For me, I love to run. Um, different people, 
you know, and people listening to this right now would go, running is torture. Like that sounds miserable where, you know, for me, it's something that I look forward to. And if I haven't done it for a week, I can tell based on the lack of endorphins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot I want to cover. Um, Couple couple questions still while we're talking about audience and everything. So, McCray, I'm curious. You've talked about some of the generation gap that exists even between you and your dad about jokes and dad humor and no, people don't talk like that and people don't use punctuation, etc. But I'm thinking about all the adult communicators who are your dad's age, a bit younger or a bit older, who are actually trying to connect with your generation. Are there are there people you follow? that you think are great at connecting with 16-year-olds? Or is it, no, you just need another 16-year-old to go and connect with a bunch of 16-year-olds? Like, I'm just wondering, do you look like, is Taylor Swift old in your view? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I follow, like, any, like, influencers for teenagers, really. I'm not a big, like, Instagram follow influencers yeah. person. And also, I feel like when someone's like, oh, I'm going to be an influencer for teenagers, it's often, like, super awkward. They're like, <laughs> hey, Hey, buddies, like, let's talk about teenage life. Hold on a second. Hey, put it all the way it's in. It's all the way in my ear. I don't know how you're not I'm fitting this it in correctly. It's in my ear. You have these headphones. Like, you have your own headphones that are just like this. This is driving me nuts. I want, I want to is, do the outtakes. That These, these are brilliant. This is real this life. Is like this every is family. real life. Yeah. Real so, life with the A-cuffs. But, okay, so you asked the question. Take you asked the question, Taylor Swift. Like, what's she's? She's not old to me, but she's not like my peer. Like, I respect her and her music, but I'm not like, oh, she's great at talking to teenagers. <laughs> right, but who would you even? <laughs> do you even? That's an interesting thought, Carrie. Who like? Who would you say is great at talking to teenagers? Other teenagers. Other like, teenagers. Okay, yeah. that's where I wondered if this was going. Yeah, there's not yeah. like oh, this influencer. Sally is really in touch with the youngins. Like, there's no one that's like, uh. <laughs> so you know, yeah. well, because I'm thinking about it through the lens of church, right? You think everybody's got a student ministry and that kind of thing. Like, okay, you're shaking your head. Tell me what's in your brain. Well, like, you know, everyone has that like student pastor that's like, oh, I'm going to change these students' lives. And he throws off the like, the lingo. Like, I know someone that always talks about their inner vibes trying to be all teenagey. <laughs> It's so cringy. (laughs) (laughs) So cringy. You are killing youth pastors right now. This helps your Uh inner vibes. Because you don't think that person normally would say vibes, and they're saying it to connect with you, and it feels inauthentic. Uh Yeah, I just want them to be like authentic to themselves. Because I'm not going to be like, oh man, he doesn't use the colloquialisms I use. I'm not going to respect what he's saying. I just want you to be genuine. And, like, when you try to be cool and talk to teenagers, it makes me, like, not want to listen to what you have to say. That is probably the clip we pulled from the whole there show, Carrie. <laughs> that That's is, the clip. She used colloquialism. So good for her. I said it wrong. That's great. So, basically, you want the 30-year-old to be 30, the 45-year-old yeah. to be 45, and the 57-year-old to be 57? Yes. Well, and you've benefited from that. Like her small group leader had a baby. It would be weird if she acted like she wasn't a mom. Like she was young. She was like 28. She was way was younger than me. last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, got a sitter for this dumb kid and I just hit the streets. Like you would be like, what? No. So I think that's part of what you're reacting to. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's funny because we all have the ability now to connect with people. And so it's easy, you know, and that's where imposter syndrome comes from when, you know, the good news is, and I think this is true for your dad too. I feel like I get to wake up and be who I am every day, which is awesome. It's like, I would say I do. I would say I do, but I have to fight to maintain that all day. So I probably wake up more. I wake up the most honest that day, but then the entire rest of the day, Carrie, you have invitations to be somebody else. Like there's, mm-hmm. oh, if I communicate a certain way on this idea or, oh, there's, you know, a podcast I want to be on and I want them to like me or whatever it is. Like I wrote about that the other day, interviewing Patrick Lencioni, I was tempted to try to impress him about me. And that mm-hmm. is an invitation out of authenticity. So like, then I'm trying to read him my resume. So he's like, oh, wow, John Smart versus asking good questions on my podcast that serve the listeners. So I would say that, yes, I get to use my voice, but I would say social media at least gives you plenty of opportunities to tweak your voice in a way that maybe you wouldn't normally talk. And I think that's true for teenagers. I think that's true for adults. You and I have to pick up that thread because that is really interesting. I've been doing prep. I'm interviewing Chris Anderson from TED. Yeah. This week. And, you know, I'm watching all of his interviews, but yeah, you're right. Underneath that is I don't want to come off as dumb and awkward when I'm interviewing Chris Anderson. Yeah. You want to be a hundred percent Carrie. You don't want to be mm. the Chris Anderson version of Carrie Newhoff. And he's not asking. No. You to be. And, and I don't but, want to be the under-researched version of Carrie Newhoff either. No. Right. No. So right. like, that's the, that's the thing is that I think, huh. I think I, the way I say it is like, there's finding your voice as a writer, but there's also keeping your voice because voice is one of the slipperiest things in the world. And I think that's true of podcasters. I think that's true of pastors. I think that's true, true of leaders. Um, every company in the world has had somebody they loved who then gets um, put in a leadership position and they think they have to now be a leader. And they start talking to the people they used to be in relationship with in a different way. And that creates a disconnect. So I think that's a human thing. So true. One of the things I was surprised uh, I didn't know, McCray, is you said you wrote a book as a teenager, which was one of your goals, which is awesome, but your friends don't read. Is that fair or don't buy books or what What was that? What were you saying? Um, I would say like most of like people like with the way like going to like a school, like going being in a school, it's like you're throwing all these books that like students wouldn't choose to read. So they associate reading with like, oh, school, I have to annotate this book Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And they don't like fully grasp like the joy of reading. So it's not that they don't read. They just don't strive to read. Yeah, And I I would say that part of it is going, okay, how does a parent read this book first? Because it's, you know, that's my goal. Like I've said to every parent that I can talk to, and it's been fun. We had a principal buy 140 copies the other day. So my goal with this book, Carrie, is that mindset gets taught in high school in the same way that 20 years now, 20 for the last 20 years, financial education has been. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we just had kids get credit cards at 25 and they were 30 grand in debt and didn't know how to handle it. Now, freshman year, McCray takes personal finance. I think that's amazing. I think there should be a personal mindset class that every teenager takes. But we know that a parent's going to read it um, and hopefully read it first and go, oh, wow, this creates a conversation for me. Because the joke I sometimes do is no husband has ever read a book that a wife got him after hearing a sermon. There's not a husband in the world that the wife said, 
hey, I heard a sermon on rage. It reminded me of you. Here's the book. <laughs> and slides it to him on his nightstand. He's like, oh, thanks. Like that dude is never reading that book. And so we want this book to be given to a teenager in the smartest, kindest way. And I think that way is the parent reads it. It's a short read. And then they start talking about the concept of soundtracks. And then they introduce the book. Like that to me is not complicated. It's not difficult versus, hey, I heard this podcast. Here's this book. And they throw it in the room and go like, hey, now you have to read. The kid would go, what am I being punished? Like, did I, mm. like, what does that mean? And so we're, we are trying to help parents be smart about that. I think that's a really wise strategy. And I know these are super early days. Has the book even been out a month? I don't think so. No, it's only been or out two weeks. Two weeks. So maybe yep. it's unanswerable. But I would love to know, McCray, what do you think the best way is to get this message, which I think is really important, out to your peers? Like if you could wave a magic wand, do a TED Talk, start a podcast, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, like what is the best way to get the message out to your friends? Um, ultimately, it's going to be the parents that buy the book because I can't think of the last time personally that like I purchased a book. Like, I mean, I'll go to a bookstore with him, but I'm never like, oh, I see this Amazon book. I'm going to buy it. But I think it'd be a good idea to like parents to incentivize like the book, like, hey, you read this, here's $20. Or like if I say someone read it, they could recommend it. Because like if someone recommends a book to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll read it. But if it's just some like random book, I'm not going to be like, oh, maybe I'll read that. Yeah, friend to friend, I've seen you read books. And then we've already had people carry it. It's only been out for two weeks. Parents are posting a picture with a $20 bill at the back of the book, which was a joke we made in the book. But it's also like if, you know, parents don't go to work expecting to, to do it for free. So if you were like, hey, I think this is important. I think this mindset will help you. We all like. Jenny and I incentivized McCray and Ellie to read. Like one summer, we paid them X amount of dollars to read 15 different books that we didn't think they were reading in high school. And it was such a joy for me as a parent to see them at the neighborhood pool. Every other kid's on TikTok. McCray is reading, you know, Scarlet Letter, Scarlet Letter or My Antonia or, you know, Count of Monte Cristo or, you know, some C.S. Lewis. Like, and it wasn't that I just gave them a good pep talk and was like, you got to discover the joy of reading. Like, that's not realistic. Instead, we incentivized the type of behavior we would like for them to have. And then they kind of fell in love with that. And so that's, that's we would love to see that. Yeah. How did that feel for you? Were you grateful for that, McCray? Are you glad mm -hmm. you read those books? Yeah. Um, maybe not Scarlet Letter. Just well, <laughs> I haven't read that book. one either. Oh, they could quit a book. They both quit Catch 22. Which it was so I, confusing. Like I was lost. I thought it was hilarious when I read it out of, out of college. But McCray was at the neighborhood pool with like just this frown. I was like, like what, what is going on? What is going on? <laughs> so we gave them the freedom to go. I'm out on this yeah. one. Yeah, Ellie quit Scarlet Letter. Did you finish Scarlet Letter? Yes, I did. Nice. Good it was you. real page turner. Yeah, but was it you that said that about uh, Taylor Swift? Oh, or Ellie, I think. She, One of them read it and was like, wait a second, there's a Taylor Swift lyric where she mentions the Scarlet she's Letter. She's like, she, where are Scarlet Letters? Where are Scarlet Letters? She's like, is this from this? We were like, yes, that's <laughs> like Taylor Swift didn't write that initial line in a song about a boy that dumped her. Um, that's actually from a work of, of like literary yeah. Or like in one of her lyrics, she makes a reference to like the Tale of Two Cities, Best of Times, Worst of Times. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, she stole that from Charles Dickens. Exactly. It's the opening yeah. line. You didn't even have to read to page two on that one. Yeah. yeah. 
to that get one, that. You get that one early. You get that uh-huh. one early. Uh huh. No, I think that's a really good, you know, if I was reparenting, which I'm not, but we could go back 15 years, I would probably pay my kids to read certain books. I think that's a great, because you pay them to mow the lawn, wash the car. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. And what's going to serve them long term? Like mm-hmm. washing the car or because the ACT, at least here in America, the ACT is one of our big standardized tests and it's mostly reading. So I can see, I don't have to guess the thread between getting them to read and them doing really well on the one of the most important tests they'll take in high school. So that's the other thing with parenting is, Carrie, we always encourage parents to be creative. Like try, like be creative with your kids. Like you don't, that doesn't mean you have to be silly. It doesn't mean you have to be whimsical if you're not a whimsical person, whatever, but try to be creative. Like try to get involved that way. Um, and, and social media, we talked a lot about the negatives, but one of the positives is Cray sends me funny videos on Instagram. Ellie sends me funny, like that's part of our, that's part of our interaction. Ellie's at school right now. Carrie, a lot of people, a lot of parents are loving the Be Real social media platform. I don't know oh, if you've yeah, used yeah, that one yeah. yet. I just joined it the other day. Because you can see what your kid is doing at college. So I've had so many parents go, I love it because on a random Tuesday at 1.30 p.m., I can say, oh, there's my daughter out on the quad or there's my son in the cafeteria. And so I think there's, even though there's a lot of dangers, there's also a lot of really neat connection that I know that we've benefited from. Yeah, what are the, what are the upsides of social for you? Um, I would say like friends that like I may have met at camp or like have moved away. It's like really easy for me to stay in touch with them. I can be like, oh, look, there's them at the beach or whatever. And so it's like a cool way to like, if I didn't have any sort of social media, I'm not going to like individually text and reach out to all these people. But it's like a nice way to keep in contact. Yeah, you wouldn't write letters. She wouldn't like the friend who moved to the Outer Banks, like you wouldn't. No. Like you wouldn't write them, like be like, dad, I need a stamp. Yeah. Um, and For so, Sarah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, I think that's one of them. What are some other benefits of, for you with social media? Um, I would just say like, it's a great way to communicate. It's like, you can be really creative. It's like, you can learn new things. Like we just had dinner from like an Instagram recipe. Yeah. It's like mm. a really cool way to like communicate. Yeah, we did. Your mom made this amazing pasta meal yeah. and we we're like, where'd you get this recipe? And she was like, Instagram. And we were like, for the win, like mm-hmm. way to go Instagram. And also McCray has an art account. Like she has her personal account, but then she also has an art account where she shares works of art she's doing. So I think that's great practice as a kid to go, I'm going to spend a couple of years building up something I'm passionate about and understand what does it look like to share that with an audience? That's a, mm-hmm. that's a great practice. It seems to me, listening to different interviews you've done with Ellie and McCray and, you know, knowing you as I have, John, you guys have a pretty healthy family vibe. I'm sure you have your moments. Maybe AirPods get in the way from time to time. We fought about know. headphones this entire podcast. <laughs> list, like, listen to the outtakes because that's as real as it gets. Well, we may put them in <laughs> the end. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but okay, go ahead, McCray. I like it. You're uh, very expressive. I like that. A lot of the podcasts we've been on is like, oh, you guys are the perfect family. You've written a book together. I bet you just uh, are they down, British in this story? Sit down and talk about mindset at the dinner table, <laughs> and like they have kind of an unrealistic expectation of what our family okay. life is like. Yeah, because our family life is real. Yeah, like, there's there's arguments, there's disagreements. People get grounded. Like, some what did you disagree with over the book? Um, well, this is, um, a lot of the dad jokes he tried to slide in, Mm -hmm. um, some of the, like the vocabulary, but this is just kind of like a tidbit. Like when we first got the cover art, it was like, (laughs) 
John Acuff with Elliot McRae. They didn't like the font. We're they, like, hey, like I wrote this book. Why am I in point four font? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, and I didn't design, and I said I didn't design the cover. I'm like, um, do something about it. So we, yeah, that was funny. They did. We did get an argument. We got an argument over that. But also, Carrie, there was. For me as a dad going, okay, I don't want to tell any stories that McRae's still in high school. So like you had to be smart about, okay, like, could this be misinterpreted by somebody? Is this a story that won't serve you well as a junior in high school? Like she's still in the high school. So we tried to make sure that they it was full and vulnerable and honest, but also recognizing she's a 16-year-old girl. So what is that, you know, how does that look like for her to create you know, in the same way that if you worked at a company and then wrote a book about working at companies, you wouldn't be like, there's a guy named Jeff. I hate that guy. And then like yeah. Jeff would be like, Carrie, what are you doing? Like, You never told me. Uh-huh. You never told me. I saw your book and I had no I had no idea. So I think we tried to be careful with that. But Carrie, I, I think, you know, Jenny's not on this podcast, but so much of this starts with conversations Jenny and I have. Where we do, like, Cray, what are some of our family soundtracks, would you say? Um, we would say, like, early is on time. Like, we're excessively early to places. <laughs> excessively, interesting. Excessively we, early. Well, it's kind of like, we kind of live in um, PTS um, D from Atlanta. Because, like, you would take you, like, 45 minutes to an hour to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I remember once we had, like, a friend singing at a church. And it was at, like, 9.30. And we left at, like, 8.50. And we're sitting in the parking lot at, like, 9.01. Because Nashville's like, oh. small. So like, early is on time is one of yes. them. What uh? What about middle campers? Uh, middle camp. Don't be a middle camper. Like in campsites, there's like campsite, campsite. And then there's one in the middle where it's like the people that show up late with 37 kids that uh, ride like bikes at 6 a.m. and never set up well, their tent. And a loop at a campsite carry, there's the loop on, on the lake. And then, mm-hmm. so all there's 20 sites that are on the water. And then in the middle, which is like essentially a parking lot, is a middle campsite with no access to water, no view. You might as well be in like a Walmart parking lot. Like it's not. <laughs> and so we joke about, okay, how do you be prepared so you're not a middle camper? Like the way you do is that you say, okay, let's plan. Let's be detailed. Let's be organized. So we joke about okay, what, you know, we kind of approach that middle camper style. So now next year, let's be a little more deliberate or let's be a little like more, you know, thoughtful in how we do things. So that's, I think every family develops shorthand. For us, they they become soundtracks. And one is like, everything's always working out for me. Today, I like, and that was when I learned from a guy named James Victory when McRae's car broke down last Wednesday, and we thought it was dead. We thought it had blown a rod, like the engine was ruined. It, it was something small, cost $200. And I said, when Jenny told me, I was like, well, she goes, because everything's always working out for us. So we are really deliberate about positivity. Like we're really like- You are enough, super positive. Yeah. But I'm a negative person by nature. Like I have to work my butt off mm. for that. I don't wake up in the morning and think that. So we, we're careful about the words we say to each other. The words we say about events, the words we say about opportunities and challenges, and and so I, I think we try to be positive, um, while at the same time being realistic. So was it Ellie who was with you at the GLS in Chicago in August, John? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah okay. You got to yeah. You got to meet Ellie. Yeah, I got to meet Ellie, and we were chatting a little bit. Both Ellie and you, McRae, 
uh, were talking about interviews <laughs> and how some of them were so boring. Uh, she didn't do the British accent, by the way, which was quite entertaining. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just going to say, you've been on a lot of interviews for this. This is probably just feels like just another one. What is one question nobody's asked you that you wish somebody would ask you or a subject that nobody has touched on that you're like, why don't you go here? No one asks us about the audiobook process, which I think is funny. No one's like, oh, so like you wrote the book, so you voiced the audiobook. How was that? What was that like? And no one really asked about like what, like which stories, like why did you choose which stories you put in the book, really? Okay, well, let's, let's go there. Why did you choose the stories you chose for the book? I think like we took stories like the lacrosse story and the swimmer story and like we had thought of other stories, but we chose the ones like with the most impact and most like related to like related to ability. It's not a word. Relatability. Relatability. And we'd be like, oh, like this is a good story, but like it only like fits like the teenage girl narrative with something more universal. Mm-hmm. So we tried to think of like stories that would be more like applicable. Yeah, I think they learned about balancing for an audience. So going, how do we how do we write a book that's not just for teenage girls, but is for teenagers? How do we write a book that goes from preteen all the way up to first year or second year of college? Like, what does it look like for, for us to address things for a wide audience? And then the, the audio, the audiobook process, if you listen to the audiobook, I'm in it maybe 20 minutes of probably five hours. And so it was McRae. It was Ellie. I think what they learned too, Carrie was I learned what I learned from the process was that the, the thing I think about the most was that teenagers and even kids as young as nine think it's too late. They already think it's too late for them. Um, Cause Ellie told me that when she was nine, I didn't know this. She tried out for the swim team and she felt it was too late to do swim because everybody else had been doing it since they were five. So the idea, I, I know that you and I meet people every day that go, Carrie, I'd love to start a podcast, but it's too late. And you go, yeah. what? Well, I mean, if you're breathing, it's not too late. We know that. But I had no idea that there's a nine-year-old out there that goes, I, it's too late for me. So that's what I learned. I think what they learned is kind of the behind the scenes of serving an audience, of creating content, of you know structuring an idea, and then also all the work that goes into it, that there are podcasts, that there are meetings about covers, that there we signed 2,000 um, book plates. And so like they... Like we signed a lot of, that's a lot of book plates. That was a task they had to do. So I think that they got to learn a lot of the process that goes into creating a message. What did you and love about? Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, go, go, John. I was just going to say, what's fun is that they're already getting speaking requests. So we cool. did a book signing event together and they're already starting to get speaking requests, which I think is super fun. I'm not going to put any pressure on that. Like if they want to do it, awesome. If they don't want to do it, Awesome. But I think that I think that's kind of neat. But what question are you going to ask, Carrie? I was going to ask uh, about the audiobook process. <laughs> it was so <laughs> challenging because you're just in this little bitty silent room and you can hear yourself in these headphones. And like you think you say words regularly and then you say Netflix over yeah. and over. Or there's a guy in our book named Bocelli. And for some reason, I thought it was Brocelli. So she said Brocelli that's like a better 15 name. times. Yeah. Like it was. And then you had to like overdub. Yeah. Or redo and then it. I had to keep doing it. And then we had to cut out like in this one 
part you name like the longest Norwegian town name. I'm like, I can't. I can't. Yeah, we That's did 37 a joke. letters. We did a joke with like that every kid feels a certain way. And then I named a bunch of towns in this joke. And then I named, I looked up the longest town name in Norway, which was just like 47 consonants. Just uh-huh. absurd. And so uh, I put that in the book and then it fell on McCray. And I was like, and So we just, dude, we edited that. Like, we just cut that. I was like, that is no. Because we were going to be in there for like an hour trying to say no, it. No, it wouldn't. Have, yeah, it wouldn't have been worth it. The ROI, they learned about ROI. In a moment like that, you do the ROI and go, that joke's not going to earn us any more money. So it's out. It's out. It's going to cost us a lot of time. Not going to help anybody. Get it out. All right. This is your opportunity before we wrap up. Anything else that nobody has asked you about? This is the podcast where you can say it, McRae. doesn't have to be uh, boring. I don't know. I think we... Basically- What's your favorite symbol? Because we talk about how powerful symbols are to remind you of something true. It could be something small. For you, I'm going <laughs> to... There goes that. There she goes. wears okay. AirPods all day, this, dude. Okay. <laughs> this is the best illustration of the parent-child dynamic because I'm watching you guys this whole interview. <laughs> I have not noticed the AirPod thing. And you said, McCray, you've been touching that thing the She's entire interview. She's touched it a thousand times, dude. I, I know, think- but I didn't notice. I didn't notice. I'm like, oh, <laughs> she's, you know, moving her hair back or something. It didn't bother me at all. And I, w- you're, I wouldn't you're be bothered, it. Carrie, if I was asking her to wear something every teenager doesn't wear every day, all day. <laughs> it's not like this is her first experience with an oh. AirPod. That's <laughs> so funny. Oh, that's funny. Anyway, <laughs> McCray, it's totally cool. <laughs> That's I can fine. already see, see it popping out right <laughs> I don't now. Know why. <laughs> There's a weird, I guess. My wife, Maybe. my wife has the same thing. You know what? It's probably that your ear canal size is different. It's, right? Yeah, it's like medical. they have small, Maybe medium, large. Maybe you have a different thingy on, like the plastic. I have a large head, Carrie. So maybe, maybe it could be that. I really do. It's I have a, a gigantic, I have a gigantic head. head, dude. So I bet I. my head is bigger than yours. It's just gigantic. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how you measure things in Canada. Maybe your head is four stone. Yeah, in, or in I don't metric, know what you guys do. Huge. Yeah, yeah like centimeters. Huge, I don't even know what metric. to do with 10 million yeah. centimeters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know where we were going so with Carrie, this. So, Carrie, we are saying you know, the symbols. These are the dynamics. Like, what's oh, a yeah, symbol? symbols. I think my favorite symbol is I have a trunk. And it's like when I was like 13, I went to a summer camp that most girls have been go- going to since they were six. And it's just a symbol of like, I'm brave enough to try new things. And I like it because it's like very visual and I see it a million times a day. And it's very like, it's covered with stickers, which I think is fun. And that's probably my favorite symbol. Yeah, I think that's something that, uh, you know, is really fun for me as a dad. You know how you learn from your kids? Like McCray is brave that way. Like, because there's a lot of kids to the too late. We just said too late. So this is full circle. There's a lot of kids that would have said, it's too late to go to this camp. Everybody starts in kindergarten and I'm not going to go in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, whatever. Mm -hmm. And McCray is a throw herself in kind of kid. And I, as a dad, that encourages me to be brave. So I get to watch her go, Oh, she just, I mean, think of how many times adults don't try new things. Like, or we are resistant to change where you think about your kid going, I'll go sleep in North Carolina in the woods in the camp for two weeks with people I've never met. Like, that's amazing. The joke we always do, which you could probably do yourself because you've heard me do it so many times, is that we ask kids to be braver than we are and that we drop them off at seven in a field and go, there's your new soccer coach. Here's your new sport you've never played. Go on, go do it. 
where if I, if my wife says to me, hey, do you want to go to a dinner party? I'm like, who's going to be there? Which <laughs> of my friends there? are going to be there? How when long are we going to stay? When can we leave? Will they have a dog I can pet? Like, that's a dinner party. And And the other thing I say is like, kids, if you think about school, their boss changes every year. Their responsibilities change. Their job changes every year. You've never had a 12-month period in your life, Carrie, where you got a new boss, a new job, 12 years in a row. And so I think as a parent, if you can reframe it that way, it gives you empathy. It gives you patience. It also gives you inspiration of like, look how brave my kids are being. So like when McCray got cut from lacrosse, she didn't stop. She just tried cross country. She she joined the cross country team. Like So that's fun for me. And and I've joked about her, her, her AirPod coming out. But at the end of the day, Cray is incredibly brave and incredibly willing to throw, throw herself into stuff. And I think that comes through in the book. I don't know what the stats are, but the number of 16-year-olds who have written and published a book, really, really small. That's That's <laughs> got to be 0.001%. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank uh, you. I'm really excited for you. And uh, Thanks, the whole Karen. AirPod thing just made it real, I guess, at the end of the day, didn't it? Just yeah, you're going to have to. Your editor can decide which of those because there's probably four. I think some of it's like, going to have to stay in. The funniest one, will, maybe the last one will have the to stay. The last one will stay in, but we got to leave funniest. a little bit of the wrangling. Yeah, but you your know. reviews are going to, your reviews on this episode are going to be like, that guy's so mean about AirPods. I promise <laughs> you. See, it was <laughs> funny because okay. what parent hasn't been there and what kid, because you started, McCray, talking about your dad jokes, you know, John's dad jokes aren't funny and this didn't work out and that didn't work out. So you know what? You're keeping it real and we'll save, I have lots of friends in England, lots of UK listeners, but we'll keep the British accent for the next one, okay? Yep. Thanks for being yep, real. Thanks for showing up as the real ACUFs and congratulations on a book. Last thing, just to encourage you, McCray, if you got those speaking requests and they're in front of high school or youth groups or students or all that, I wonder if that's going to be one of the best ways that you can bring this message to your friends, to your generation and... I think when you get up there and you talk about it with your real life, that'll be really, really compelling. Thanks. Yeah. Teenagers want to listen to teenagers. Yeah. What did she say tonight? She said teenagers, like you said, who are the teen voices you'd like to hear from? And she said other teenagers. And we were both like, rut row. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, expect a lot of invites after this. So uh, we so appreciate it. Hey, people want to find the book. It's available. It's a major publisher. It's Baker. So it's everywhere books are sold, but where can they find you? We know on Snapchat, but yeah. you don't want 10,000 no, no. requests they, no, no. from like, no, you don't want that. You don't want people to follow you on Instagram, they but there go, must be a website for the book. Yeah, acuff.me slash playlist. So A-C-U-F-F. And they can follow you, John. Yeah, they can follow I'm, them. I'm easy to find. But acuff.me slash playlist is where you can go read the first two chapters for free. Um, and I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal, where I interview people about the goals they're working on. Such a great podcast. Thanks, Carrie. Yeah. And that's another one, too. You know, hey, l- l- okay, one more bonus round. This is it. School night. Um, you know, you started a podcast. I remember we talked about that at the time, and then it didn't go the way you wanted. And you could have easily said too late, but then you launched All It Takes is a Goal, and it's exploded, dude. Like, way to go. Yeah, well, I mean, my first one was terrible, as your first anything should be terrible. Um, So, like, that's what we put that in the new book, that be brave enough to be bad at something new. So I think, yeah, the first podcast. And, and I, you know, one of the things I say is it'll be a success or a story. 
So it'll either win or I'll get a story. And so I got a story out of the first podcast. Like I didn't have a mic carry. I would just like record and I'd have friends very lovingly say, they'd email me like, Hey buddy, you ever think about like buying a mic? They I think I was them. one of those friends. Maybe? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like who would I remember try to that. Be like, I remember that. Like, I'm hey, like, Oh, buddy. I need to go buy John a mic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm just going to scream into my laptop and hope that magically gets fixed on the podcast. And so, yeah, I, for me, I mean, that's one of those things. Um, I love looking ahead to you and your podcast and what you've done. And, and that's why we talk once a month because we really enjoy each other and we really get to learning from each other. And that's, there's just like, there's not a million people that have written a 16 year old book. There's not a million oh. people that I go, man, I want to figure, figure that out. The thing I say about you, Carrie, and the thing I say about leaders I look up to is that fruit is loud. When you find somebody, you go, okay, do they have the kind of life I want to have, the type of marriage, the type of business, type of leadership? And you'll be able to tell because fruit is loud. The fruit of their life will be loud. And so for me, that's what's fun. I know I can bring my daughter on a podcast like this because you're going to be a kind, gracious, prepared host who loves my loves my family. And I can look at you yeah. and go, mm -hmm. you and Tony have the kind of relationship I want. You have the kind of relationship with your kids 10 years ahead of me, like fruit is loud. Well, and I got to say, McCray, too, when I've talked to you, when I read the book, when I've heard you on other podcasts, I'm like, oh, man, I've got I've got goals now, too, for my family. My kids are about a decade older than than you and your sister are. But I'll tell you, it's just it's fantastic. So you got a good thing going. And uh, thanks for sharing with uh, lots and lots of leaders today. Really yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for it. having us. Oh, you're welcome. Told you it was going to be fun, right? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And uh, hats off to McRae, like for writing her first book, her sister Ellie, and uh, for the ACUFs for being able to pull that off. That's really, really cool. And uh, make sure you check out everything in the show notes. It's kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 530. We have also got transcripts for you at that same link, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 530, if you want to dig a little bit deeper. Today's episode is brought to you by the Art of Leadership's Academy, Art of Church Growth. Get instant access to my course, The Art of Church Growth, today and finish this year on a high note go to theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com and meet a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season. Simply go to compassion.com slash givingtree slash carry and you can partner with them. And uh, I'll tell you, so many people are going to win when you do that. So next episode, we've got Nancy Duarte. She returns to the podcast. Man, we talk about four trends in communication. She has worked with some of the world's best communicators. You're going to get a gold mine of information from her. Going to talk about the power of curation, something I have been thinking about a lot, and also what she learned from coaching Apple and Steve Jobs. Here is an excerpt. I just actually was talking to someone yesterday, and they were saying that one of the things that's going to happen is people really, really need to get into audio. They need to figure that out. And it's going to eventually be coupled with VR uh, audio. So mm -hmm. even the way, um, I don't know if you've got the new earbuds, but they have surround sound now. I was listening to a podcast, um, cast, I'm walking, and, and it was a commercial, but it went shh, right behind me. And I jumped, at, I thought there was like a person right behind me saying shh. And I'm just like, what's going on? I jumped down on my skin. So there's real beauty and artistry that's happening, but it's um, becoming what I would call these kind of interactive podcasts versus this one way, which preachers tend to kind of do.
Also coming up, Rich Birch, Pat Lencioni, James Clear, Chris Anderson, Annie F. Downs, and so much more. If you subscribe, you will never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please not only subscribe, but maybe leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get the word out. I'm so thankful for everything that you do to share this show. Every year gets better, and that's because of you. So if you like this episode, I want to give you something for free. You can register for my church, The Art of Church Growth, before the end of the day on November 2nd, and you'll get the Christmas Outreach Toolkit absolutely free. That outlines the simple steps you can take to make Christmas your best one yet. Let me just say something more about that. It's something I developed early on, and I kind of realized, wait a minute, Christmas is a special kind of year, not only because it's a cool holiday, but because all kinds of people show up at church that wouldn't normally show up. Well, what if you leverage that? What if you put uh, kerosene on that and just lit it on fire? I think there's a great way that you can reach more people this Christmas than ever. It's not too late. So, get it all, go to theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com. You will get the free bonus Christmas Outreach Toolkit if you act now. Go to theartofchurchgrowthcourse.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be back next time with a fresh episode, and I hope our time together today helped you thrive in life and leadership.